Hey, Ramon. Hello, Passy. Welcome to episode five of the Strictly Untied podcast. We have quite a few items in the follow-up section here. Ramon, do you want to jump straight into it? So yeah, I wanted to correct myself on a few things I said about uh, Swift in the last episode. Um, one of them was that uh, NS decimal number doesn't exist in Swift. It actually does exist. What doesn't exist in Swift is NS decimal, and this was related to related to the core plot library. Um, that when they added support for Swift, they they had to stop using NS decimal. Uh, another thing is can you can you remind me that real quick what the difference between the two is and how one of them was used? Uh, the core plot library used NS decimal. I think is an alias for a type. I think it's float or double something like that. I don't know exactly. Um, it's not an object. I hope I don't need to add some follow up for <laughs> this <laughs> in the next episode. <laughs> But yeah, basically, uh, Swift adds uh, a type called NS decimal number that um, is compatible with this um, for this purpose. So yeah, uh, this might become our dawn pr plot line that everyone hates, but that is going to come up in every single episode from now on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So another thing I didn't say correctly was that I said uh, explicitly unwrapped instead of implicitly unwrapped. And this is related to unwrapping optionals in Swift. When you add the um, exclamation mark, that is called implicitly unwrapped, and not explici explicitly, as I said. Uh, this is something that happens to me often when I use those two words. For some reason, if I don't think of it for a second, I just always pick the wrong, wrong choice. So, so yeah. And third piece of follow-up was um, something that one of our listeners, uh, Yusef, thanks a lot for uh, adding, adding this p extra piece of information. So he mentioned that one of the downsides of bundling the Swift runtime run was that we cannot no longer use static frameworks. Apple, together with Swift, they added support for dynamic uh, frameworks on iOS 8. So that's, that's the correct way of bundling frameworks at the moment uh, with Swift. Um, so that's all the follow-up I had uh, for today. Um, Ye Pascal wanted to talk about something that another listener has requested, right? Yes, yeah, so I got a question on Twitter about our RSS um, processor, and it was a bit difficult to explain in 140 characters. So the way we publish our show notes is directly through SoundCloud, which has the nice benefit that they also create the RSS feed for us which we could directly publish. Um, the downside is that SoundCloud does not allow embedding any HTML text in there, which, however, some of the podcast clients actually render. So it's quite nice for um, adding links to it and even inlining graphics and stuff like that. What we can, however, do in, in SoundCloud in the editor is add Markdown. And this is what we've done. It's still kind of readable, but uh, looks a bit messy if you include links and they're obviously not tappable but we didn't want to move the entire show note process to some, some different platform and set up a blog or whatever else you um, you would need to do. Um, so what I've done is I, I built a small proxy which sits between SoundCloud and, um, oh God, what, what's the name of Google's weird RSS service again? Feed FeedBurner. FeedBurner, exactly. This tool which looks like it uh, came out of the 90s, which it probably... They haven't touched it, it in yeah. seven years or yeah. more. Yeah, um, but it works quite well. So um, you can point that one to whatever you want, and it will um, then track some statistics for you and uh, add some additional meta text if you want, so, want to. Um, so instead of pointing that one now to SoundCloud, I point this to my little um, reverse proxy, which pulls the RSS feed from SoundCloud and renders the inline markdown to HTML. 
This is actually pretty simple because I just need to put this onto my personal VPN. It renders the markdown. This is obviously highly cacheable. It doesn't really change all that, all that often. And yeah, then FeedBurner takes takes care of tracking statistics and delivering it to to the actual users. Um, this proxy is written in Haskell because it has to do some XML parsing, which in most languages is a total nightmare. And I have a nice arrow syntax, uh, which makes it a lot more pleasant to work with. And so far, it's been working without any problems since I put it into production. Yeah, the only thing I've I've done in recent times is I've added. Um, a package called EKG, which provides you runtime um, or real-time statistics like request counts and failure rates and all of the nice stuff we get whenever we deploy something here at Twitter uh, into production or even on a staging system. And I felt like I was completely in the dark about what our service there did out in the world. And now I know a few things more. So, and you've made all this, uh, this stuff as a open source project, right? On oh yeah, GitHub. I mean, this is like my, my default anyway. I put all my stuff on GitHub. So yeah, you can find it there under passy slash um, RSS dash markdown dash proxy. So bit of a mouthful, but yeah, you will find it. Cool, I'm sure people will, will find it useful. Okay, so I disconnected there for a second because I wanted to double check that there's no more follow-up on NS decimal. So I just checked on ob in Objective-C, NS decimal is a struct and not an alias or a type or anything like that. So it's a struct that contains several things uh, required to um, represent a decimal number. So that is what's not available in, in Swift, which uh, is uh, replaced by NS decimal number. Okay. Well, thanks for making sure that you're not going to become a sand snake of the podcast there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is that? <laughs> sand snake, those um, characters in Dawn who no one likes. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch that in Game of Thrones reference. Okay, um, so what do we go for now? Well, I wanted to ask you about your recent Android adventures because I know you've updated one of your Android apps um, and... Well, you could pretty much replace me now entirely on this podcast because originally this, this was about an Android developer and an iOS developer, and now you are both, and <laughs> I still am only an Android developer, so um, I might just sign off here. <laughs> no, you know, that's not the case. Uh, okay, so I've got this, uh, this app that allows uh, users to find guitar tabs and, and chords on on the iOS and, and Android devices. What's the name? Um, Tell people the name all over again, again and I, again. I think I haven't mentioned it even once. It's called According, um, with A-C-H-O-R-D-I-N-G, uh, According Tabs. Um, so the, the Android app hadn't made many modifications. Oh my God, Siri, <laughs> you went crazy there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks, Siri. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I hadn't um, I hadn't updated it for a couple of years, and so it didn't look very up to date. It didn't look very nice on, on especially compared to the most up to date material, material design. Well, when when did you start developing it? I think you mentioned a ridiculously low version number there in terms of Android. yeah. So I think this was Android one point five. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it was a long time ago. So or the first mobile platform I played with was uh, iOS, and this was back in two thousand and nine. 
and at the time I was, wo I was working at a company at Verizon actually and on my Windows laptop at work I couldn't do any any iOS development so what I was learning in the in the evenings at home I really I really wanted to put into practice so I said okay what's the closest I can do on a Windows machine so I said okay let's see what this Android thing is is all about so at the same time as I started doing iOS, I pretty much started learning Android. Can't believe it was actually Windows that drove you to Android development. That's uh, yeah, I would have <laughs> never expected that. Yeah, actually, those machines were so locked down that I had to tell the IT department that I had bought a new printer, so they would <laughs> grant me admin access <laughs> on those Windows machines <laughs> to install. Like Cheeky. <laughs> that was the only way to install Chrome or Firefox and use something different from IE. At the time, that was good old times. Um, so anyway, I recently realized uh, some some users of this app started requesting that every time they move to to a, a new phone, they would lose all the tabs, the tablatures they had saved on the on the Android phone, and it was quite annoying. There was not a way to back it up without moving files from the SD card and copying the database and stuff like that. So I learned that um, on Android 6, um, Google provides this um, auto backup service and I had to make some modifications to my app to, to support that. And to get together with that, uh, I made many modifications. I rewrote half the app. I, to give you an idea of how old the code base was, it was still using um, action bar Sherlock. Uh, Right. To the, <laughs> the action bar. It was still supporting Android. Actually, 2.2 was the minimum. Before that, it was all the way down to 1.6. So now I've moved it up to 2.3. SDK level 23, right? And uh, or oh, uh, the 2.3. The, the minimum was 2.3. Right. Okay. But it's targeting yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. 23. Yeah. To be fair, it was a very pleasant experience. Uh, our, our catching up with Android was so good. I've realized like the the framework has matured so much. The tools as well, um, Android Studio is very nice to use these days. Um, all the wizards y you get just to create a new AVD and Android uh, virtual device, or just install the SDKs. There are a lot of recommendations for be best practices. It automatically installs this uh, Intel plugin to run. So the AVDs run, uh, the emulators run fast. Uh, Were you able to make use of the instant run feature? Yep. Yeah, and the new, I was going to mention, the new Android emulator is fantastic. It looks really nice on Retina displays. That was one of my main complaints. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, it looks really good. It's fast. Instant run is really good, especially when you're tweaking UI and XML files. I often find myself stopping the activity or the whole application so it doesn't use the yeah maybe we should explain that real quick for people who are not familiar with yep. android so uh, with android studio 2.0 they've and and the uh, underlying gradle plugin they've introduced a new feature um, which allows you to hot swap some pieces of an android app um, it's not particularly obvious which parts of the app can be um, hot reloaded so sometimes people press the button expecting a hot reload and then in, in fact it's going to reinstall the entire app but it works often enough that uh, you definitely save a lot of time 
over the course of a day. So what works pretty reliably is switching out resources and colors, for example, moving things around on the screen, which has been incredibly painful before uh, because you would sometimes have to wait for up to, I don't know, three minutes if it's a large app before yeah. you see anything on your screen. And they can even do this with uh, code modifications. Um, yeah. what, what I've been doing recently is working with different video feeds and if you just change the URL which point to some sort of manifest you can normally swap them out without um, reinstalling the entire app within a matter of seconds rather than minutes yeah yeah um, that was great I had some hiccups with that when when I was testing the app on API version 10 uh, on the level 10 and then going back to a more uh, modern emulator it would get turned off automatically and I would need to re-enable it in Android Studio I don't know why that was exactly but apart from that worked great another thing I wanted to mention that I was pleasantly surprised was uh, the app com compat uh, library so good now it works really 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 well with especially with the action bar um, with menu items and they've added so many compact wrappers that allow you to not have to branch your code uh, in the middle of the app. It will you use this wrapper usually for example I think there's one that comes to mind menu item compact or menu compact and then it will call the the native one if you're on the right API uh, version and uh, call the the one in the library if needed. I think that's great. It simplifies a lot of code. Yeah, it's interesting how this has evolved. If you generate a completely new project, by default, it's going to use all the compat uh, items instead of the native ones. Even if you target only the highest uh, version of Android, it will always go for the uh, compat items. Um, yeah, because pretty much when you start your app, it's kind of getting frozen in time. So next time you go and update, make some modifications. Uh, you will probably want to take advantage. You will probably update the the compat library, but you don't want to start refactoring everything. And and if you were not using compat, then start using compact. Uh, it's kind of future proofing yep. the whole thing. And and related to the app compact, uh, something I was very very glad to to be able to use and allowed me to simplify and remove a lot of code and especially assets was the support support for um, vector graphics in the app compact library uh, that allow me that works all the way down to Android 2.3 together with that Android Studio allows you to download SVGs directly from Google's repo you can go file new vector asset oh really yeah That's and then you do choose you tap on choose it allows you to draw one but if you tap on choose it connects to the the repo of SVGs. You can download it directly. You can edit it in line, and it's just a, a few a few bytes uh, that it saves into into your app, and then it scales to all all DPIs. And I loved it. I loved it. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. the the icon library that they have is pretty amazing. It's, it's really also good. available at design.google.com if you don't want to install Android Studio. I think slash icons or something. Yeah, I initially went there. And I said, oh, it's a bit of a pain to have having to download all this. Right, but but even there, they allow you to customize before you download. I want yep. them in this format and this size and in this with this background color. And they, then they dynamically generate you a zip file, which yeah. is quite nice. And it flips. It all, uh, something I was um, I discovered is that it flips the 
it will flip the the icons automatically for right to right to left languages. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So do they save them um, as PNGs then, or no. just keep one SVG file? You save the SVG with the path. You can modify the path and the color and everything. And cool. I've never really touched this directly, but I think before they had native SVG support or vector drawable, um, they would automatically generate PNGs for you, but that would still mean um, the bundle size of your app would be um, pretty massive if you yeah. went for, what's the maximum at this point, XXX HDPI? I think they stopped doing that and you can add uh, the exact DPI modifier, like 460 DPI yeah. asset, I think like that. The only caveat I would, uh, I would add is that I found a really strange side effect. And it is that when I, when I install the app in debug mode, there's a massive delay to start with, three, four, five seconds sometimes. However, when I, when I run it past ProGuard and in release mode, uh, there's no delay. And this started happening when I added um, if you want to use it in support mode, vector graphics support mode, through the support library, you need to add a line to Gradle. Um, when I start, when I added that, this uh, massive delay started happening. I tried to debug it, and it start it, it happened. The, de the delay is before the app, my app is even created. My app object, application object, is created. So I don't know what's what's going on there. So. Yeah, that that's if it's happening to you, just keep that into mind. And so related to this, I said, how can I do this on iOS? What does Apple and Xcode support uh, related to vector graphics? And I thought that um, the support is quite limited. And apparently, what people are doing and what Xcode allows you to do is use Adobe's PDF vector graphics. I didn't even know that PDF was a vector graphic uh, format as well. But PDF is many, many things. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. It, it's kind of a container of things. Yeah, right? yeah. You can also put video in it and malicious Brilliant. JavaScript and no all way. sorts of stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so yeah, allowing you to to use SVGs rather than a proprietary format is a, a much better solution. So hopefully Apple will do something similar in the near future. And I think this is enough about my my adventures with Android. Let's talk about development real quick about some of some of the APIs because we've we've got this question now yep. a few times and you're in the perfect position to to answer this. So when you when you compare Android and iOS in terms of the entry points to an application, I think it's activities versus view controllers, the yep. way I understand it. Can can you explain the the main fundamental differences between the two? Apart from basically okay. both setting up the stage for, yeah. for every every screen in an app. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to understand this, you cannot on Android. You cannot just limit yourself to activities versus view controllers because to do everything you can do with view controllers, you'll need to. You also need to bring fragments into into play. Do you? Yeah, because view controllers can behave as fragments as well. Okay, I see. So you can nest um, view controllers then yep. inside each other. Exactly. And you can create view controllers that manage all the view controllers. That's the way I want to see Android. Like activities are kind of fragments that only the system can manage. And that, you know, Android, the, the, the app manage the stack and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So in both cases, view controller, in, in the iOS case, view controller and on Android activity is the basic building block for the app. The main difference is that or both have their own life cycle. They are quite similar. They resemble each other. You have on view will appear, uh, view did appear. On Android you have on pause, on resume, uh, on create, on, on start. Uh, they are similar. Uh, they're not equivalent, but they are similar. Uh, the main difference is that on iOS you can embed view controllers inside view controllers, so that's quite flexible. And as I said, on Android you need to bring fragments into into play if you want to embed and create more flexible uh, structures. What's your point of view on on the activity and fragment uh, debate? Because I know it's not something that people think is uh, solved or perfect. No, definitely not. The it's quite interesting. I subscribe to an Android Weekly newsletter, and at the moment, the the topic that comes up the most is definitely just general architecture, because there is just nothing um, that Android gives you that allows you to to clearly structure an app. It's going to break at some point if you just build random activities, put fragments of use into them. And yeah. there's nothing that defines a model layer or anything like this. So a lot of people try to find something that follows an MVP, uh, model view presenter pattern in some form. And so the other thing is just the question of how do we get rid of fragments entirely in the places that they are still needed? And how can we limit the use of activities altogether? Because they are really heavyweight. <coughs> I think I said this in an earlier episode, but... Um, Activities on Android are pretty much like a full-page refresh on yep. a website. So when you go to the next one, you can serialize a bunch of state that you want to pass on to the next one, but this is literally what, what's happening. You put them normally into strings or sometimes a bit slightly more yeah. compact representation, and then on the other end, you have to deserialize them and, yeah, and put it's them so back onto the screen. Trans custom transitions in between. I exactly. Think this is what our, our colleague Philippe um, complained about all the time because he's a big fan of... Making things look beautiful, and it's really difficult if you switch from from one activity to the next yeah. one, and you want to move something in between. I think we were together at Google I/O when they, in Android Five, uh, in Lollipop, they presented the uh, the, the new API to add transitions in between. Exactly, in, yeah. you can pass views across activities and animate. Yeah, it's just a really clunky API, in my opinion. It breaks all the time. It's it's really great for small. And presentation demo videos yeah. that you create where you control the full experience but oh my god don't let anyone touch the screen when they're not supposed to don't rotate the device or do anything special unexpectedly um yeah it looks great in demos if you see one element floating around the screen from one um basically view to the other but in practice it it just looks horrible yeah. in my opinion i think um your mileage may vary but yeah i'm, I'm not a big fan of them yeah the other, the other difference I see between uh, activities, fragments, and view controllers is that, in my view, view controllers is a very sturdy um, building block. You need to do something really, really bad by default to, to make it break or crash. On the other hand, activities and fragments, they will crash by default. Oh, yeah, fragments in particular, yeah. they are just... in almost impossible to get right yeah for example a typical case you get a 
I was telling you, uh, telling you and Alex the other day about this. You have a background activity, sorry, not background activity, an async task on Android. It finishes when you fi when it finishes. You want to uh, the result to be reflected in, in the UI. This activity, this async task, could finish while the activity is restarting or no longer exists, or it's a changing configuration, it's in between configuration changes yeah. or stuff like that. And then if you try to do any UI related stuff, it will just crash. And that's not a safe way to check. Is it safe to do something right now? Uh, you actually need to maintain all the state. Uh, yeah, there's, there's nothing that, that does this for you. Yeah. So what most people do is they just keep a weak reference to the activity when a network call goes out in an uh, async task. And if the activity was restarted in the meantime, which could happen on all sorts of configuration changes, the most yeah. um, prominent one being um, screen rotation. And then they will just throw away all the progress and uh, just throw that result into the ether yeah. and redo it again. Uh, yeah once it's been restarted. Yeah, I wanted to, I had a similar case and I, I, I wanted to do it properly and I didn't want to, it was a database migration, so I didn't think it was safe to throw away the yeah. migration <laughs> result and then, okay, let's migrate it again. So yeah, I had to add a lot of state, uh, save statically in a single term. And these are things that seem so out of date these days, like adding more state to your to your classes and add more singletons and things like that and this activity paradigm only seems to be encouraging more of it I it's think. it's just very bad practice in terms of api design yep. they've they've used that so uh, how i mean good api should fall into the pit of success you go down the path of least resistance and you yep. do the right thing if you follow that path on fragments, you will inevitably crash. It's almost impossible. So I found this one way in Snapchat um, where I could reliably crash the app when adding a new two-factor authentication token. At some point, you have to leave the app to look at your um, um, short messages or something like this and come back. And because they used fragments for this um, UI element, and in the meantime, when you switch apps, it's quite likely that one of them gets stopped and not just paused. Uh, on resume, it would just crash because it tried to re-add a fragment that was already there. I was in a weird state. Yep. And I can't blame them. It's so difficult. Um, we can add this famous diagram or infamous uh, diagram to the show notes that uh, lies at the entire life cycle of fragments. So I feel like instead of making something that composes well with activities or that enhances them, they've just added something that inherits basically the entire complexity that activities yeah. already have and adds a lot on top of it. Yeah. What about that flag you can uh, set to true on a fragment that say you this fragment doesn't die. Oh yeah, the um retained retained fragments. Retain, yeah. Retain. Yeah, this is used quite often actually to um state. yeah, yeah. retain state across yeah. configuration changes. So sometimes you use a headless fragment, yeah. so that means it's a fragment that doesn't draw anything to the screen. Um, but it's just used so that network requests, for example, as we've mentioned previously, um, can persist throughout one of those changes. Yeah. Oh man. Like. Yeah, the wonderful world of Android. Um, luckily, there's quite a vibrant third-party community around this that tries various things to make our lives easier. But so far, there hasn't. 
but this will be the case this w- this is what it I- that is for most people yeah like of course the importance of default like i'm not sure if there's a way out of this for for google yeah i wanted to say um there has no way emerged yet that is clearly better and that everyone follows so like for web development even though there were always a bunch of different frameworks they all kind of followed the same path for a while it was two-way data binding or generally mvc patterns with backbone and then angular and now react but you could clearly see that everyone was kind of marching into the same direction with a few variations here here and there and different opinions but on android people are just going left and right at the moment exploring completely different ways and it's I haven't even seen a lot of big companies or apps adopting certain other libraries that yeah that that have more than just very basic primitives like ix java which has gained some traction on android recently yeah cool well i think we'll we'll keep talking about this in in the future it's a never-ending topic right yeah and if you want to know anything um in particular, especially how it compares to Android and to iOS, with Ramon knowing everything about <laughs> about <laughs> both up. platforms now. Um, please, yeah, please let us know. Um, but you've done something else on Android, uh, another project. What was that? Yeah, I had the, uh, the pleasure to present something at the London Science Museum. I think it was two weeks ago now. So the Science Museum here in London, they do this, uh, it's called Lates. Uh, basically, they open the museum in the evening and they let people have some drinks and just walk around the museum. It's free entry, and, and there are different topics. So the one um, I presented at together with two other friends, Javi and Jesus, um, it was about neuroscience. Uh, so what we did was a technical demo to integrate an EEG headband. EEG stands for electroencephalogram. It's basically what hospitals used to uh, measure your brain activity use one of that this head headbands to control a sphero robot for those of you that don't know them sphero is um those it's the same uh, company that makes those lovely bb8 robots they sell a version of them that doesn't look a bb8 but it's just a, a ball both the headband and the sphero are bluetooth enabled so we created this android app that works as a controller or bridge in between them so by using the combining the accelerometer measurements that there's an accelerometer built into the headband plus the concentration level uh, measured by the headband uh, we would allow uh, people to we allow people to control the robots so the more focused you were the faster the ball would move and then moving your head tilting your head to the sides would allow you to control to the direction of, of the ball. So the the evening was really successful. Success, successful. There were loads of people interested in, in trying it and it drew a lot of interest. And then last Friday, I I gave a short, very short talk about this uh, the experience and what we did at the London School of Economics uh, as part of a meetup called uh, Neurotech X. Um, so yeah by the way this project was uh, uh, the headband integration with Sphero was done um, with uh, Harvey's company uh, with we have this small company called uh, Neural Cubes and yeah hopefully we'll be doing more things together in the in this in this space 
Yeah, sounds amazing. I'm still waiting for the demo here in the office. Yeah, I, I will bring it. I brought it once for to test with some people to use as te test subjects. Yeah, I just so try to avoid talking to you when we're not recording. We want to yeah have to redo this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, yeah, about about the app there. So you were connecting then to two different Bluetooth devices. One for reading your your yeah. the brain stuff. So <laughs> it was yeah. The it robot. was talking to two Bluetooth devices at the same time. Right. Originally, I tried to. <coughs> well, we tried to connect to four devices at the wow. same time, so two headbands and two spheros, because the idea was that the game would be a fight in between the spheros. But the SDK, the Sphero SDK, um, wouldn't support connecting to two two of them at the same time. The headband, by the way, is called Muse M U S E. You can buy them on Amazon. Uh, they are available. They're around three hundred dollars. Okay. Uh, by the way, also as a consequence of working on this project I well we were we had to create Gradle uh, repos for the Sphero the Muse uh, and I also created a CocoaPods um, repo for the for the Muse uh, SDK and surprisingly their companies don't provide them as Gradle or CocoaPods uh, repos but so I create, created them for them <laughs> oh cool we should add some links to the show notes for the people yeah, who want to play around definitely. with this Okay, this this might be a stupid question, but um, so you had to deal a lot with Bluetooth, and I have so many connection issues with all the devices that I have. Did you run into any of those while yeah, working um, with this? And also, um, the, the SDKs you were using there, how high level were they? So did you have to manually create your Bluetooth connections, or was it more like SDK dot find me my robot? Yeah, they were pretty good. Um, they were a bit flaky at point. But I, at the beginning, I really hated them. Uh, I thought they were super flaky. I thought I would need to write a wrapper SDK on top of it to make it a bit more resilient. Just a massive try-catch in a loop, <laughs> <laughs> trying to reconnect to things. And then I realized that uh, depending on the on the device, it would be more or less flaky. Oh, on the Android yeah. device? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, for example, on the Nexus 4, I used an Nexus 4 for some development. It was pretty flaky. In the end, for the event, I used a Nexus 7. One of my friends, uh, he used a Nexus 4. They had He had several hiccups during the event and struggling to connect and stuff like that. With uh, the second, second generation of uh, Nexus 7 that I borrowed from the office um, after fixing the, the connector, <laughs> uh, it was flawless. Like, the three hours that I was demoing to people, it didn't drop connectivity a single time, and the battery didn't drain. I mean, it was it was very very acceptable. Um, I was I was happy with it. So yeah, that's my experience. Like I think a third device I tried to use it was a an Asus, Asus tablet running an Intel chipset. It was horrible. <laughs> uh, that was very flaky as well. And it would drop connectivity all the time. Sometimes it wouldn't. It wouldn't even connect. I'd really like to understand the concept of Bluetooth interference better. I think mm. they communicate on the five gigahertz spectrum, don't they? Is that LE or Bluetooth oh, LE? Oh, yeah, I this might actually be different. Yeah, I don't know, but there are just some areas where my my Bluetooth headphones, for example, always crap out. If I walk with them um, across Trafalgar Square, 
right here. I, I lose connection every single time. I don't know what it is if someone has a Bluetooth jammer oh, installed really? there or whatever it is. So what do you? What, what are the symptoms? It just drops the connectivity. Yeah, it drops or? the connection. Okay. But not you cannot hear interferences, right? Oh no, no, no. Um, I mean it's digital, so that that, yeah. that shouldn't happen. But it's that it yeah, the, the connection drops out yeah. for a bit. It reconnects uh, automatically, so it's not that long. But yeah. I just can't listen to anything there, even if I um, hold my phone directly next to <laughs> next to my my earplugs. Yeah. Cool. So that's that's about me. That's about my project, Android projects and Android adventures. Um, so. I'm looking forward to focusing on iOS once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's let's move on to picks then. Um, so there's one series of articles which I've really enjoyed that is Lens Over T. So it focuses on, on lenses, which is a topic that even came up here in the office a few times recently with regards to Swift. Um, you normally stumble across them when you think, uh, when you try to figure out how to update nested immutable data structures, but they're actually way more powerful than just that. Um, yeah, I can definitely recommend you checking it out. It is uh, written in Haskell, but it takes a really interesting approach. It has this, it's written in a like depth first manner. So whenever the author encounters a problem um, they don't fully understand, uh, they go really, really deep down until they hit, hit the bottom and then they go back up. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a really long series because of that, but it doesn't really require a lot of um, prior knowledge. Yeah, well, at, I'm at afraid of asking that. you what the lens is. <laughs> I've got no idea. I think I wasn't here for that uh, talk. Yeah, so <laughs> um, I, I don't really think I can summarize this um, probably 20,000 words article, but uh, the most basic form is a tuple of a getter and a setter for a field in a data structure. And you can compose them in really interesting ways and use them... Um, to create more powerful things. But yeah, as I said, um, you really want to use them if you have a larger immutable data structure with nested properties and you just want to update a single element in them or even multiple ones. Okay. So let's say you have a person, that one has an address record and in there, there is the flat number and you just want to change the flat number. So if you are in a language that allows mutation, this is pretty easy because you just need to go down like person dot address dot flat number and then set it to the new value but if you want to create an entirely new record that includes both the person and the address record uh, then you have to do a lot of manual work there in creating those new objects and with lenses that is a lot lot easier okay. um, yeah uh, and if you want to have a mathematical answer then lenses are just co-state co-monad um, co-algebras <laughs> Okay, you should have said that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to read about it and maybe I can ask you and hopefully I can help other people understand it. Not by explaining it myself, but by asking the dumb questions and you answering with very eloquent answers like right now. Uh, well, I, I may have to look them up uh, as well, but it's a really fascinating topic that you can go deep down on. <laughs> okay. All right. So I didn't. To be fair, I didn't prepare any any picks for this um, for this episode. Okay. Then just tell us a podcast you want our listener listeners to listen to. A podcast. Okay. I'm gonna very quickly open my favorite podca podcast app, and 
actually, I started uh, listening to Core Intuition, I think a couple of months ago. Oh, Manton uh, Vies and yeah. Daniel Dockhood. Yeah, I wasn't convinced at the beginning, but now they... Um, they won you over? Yeah, they won me over. They, they are part of my life. I really like them. Um, I wish that they, they talked about more technical stuff more often, because when they do, they're great. But um, I really like their style. They are, they are quite humble. Um, I think they have stuff to brag about, but uh, they don't. They, are, they, I don't they sound very down to earth. I like them. Yeah, I actually listen to them as well. So they are two. Um, they're both not independent, aren't they? Yeah. Two independent iOS developer. Uh, well, iOS and Mac developers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one. What's the name of? Um, Daniel, Daniel. Uh, I think I was with him at NSConf last year. I think I met him and said hello. I didn't, I didn't know who he was at the time, but um, he. I, I think I remember him talking a lot to Marco Arment. So I thought, oh, maybe he's a podcaster as well. And then I learned more about him afterwards. Um, okay, I've got so many podcasts to pick, but I'm just going to focus on one for now. Um, it's still relatively new. There are only 11 episodes. Um, it's Acquired. Uh, it's a podcast by two people who work in the venture capitalist scene, and they talk about successful big acquisitions and analyze them in a really interesting format. So they've talked about Pixar, for example, and Instagram, Twitch, Bungie, um, for which they even had an interview with an insider who worked at Microsoft or at Bungie and then later. No, I think he worked at Microsoft and um, okay. oversaw the acquisition process. Uh, it was really eye-opening. They talk a lot about the tech scene in general, so the overarching themes um, that are there. The last episode that I've listened to was about the PayPal acquisition and um, the PayPal mafia that spawned out of it. Um, so excellent stuff. Elon Musk, one of them. Yep, one of them. Cool. Okay, cool. Then this has been episode five of the Strictly Untyped podcast. You can follow us on Twitter under at Strictly Untyped, and you can follow me under at Passy and Ramon under Monchote. That is M O N C H O T E. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>Okay, stop. No, 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 don't stop. I don't I I do want to talk to you about Dark Souls 3. <laughs> so <coughs> <coughs> Okay, bore me to death. Why should I play this game? What do you like about it? I like the challenge. I like the challenge and I like how it can transport you to a very dark mood, depressing. <sighs> but 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 I know you have a strong personality and strong uh, <laughs> mind. And <laughs> I know you can just take it as what it is. It's just, uh, I do want you to do this because VR is going to be about this, Pascal. It's going to be immersive experiences that, that are going to scare you to death. They are going to make you panic or make you be stressed and things like that. So, so do you think it's one of those, the lower the lows, the higher the highs things? So It is. It is. Okay. Like it makes you suffer so much. I'm starting to suspect, well, I've been suspecting this for a while, but I may not be the most the most skillful player. Uh, one of the bosses, uh, for those of you who played it, Aldrich, the devourer of gods. I'm pretty sure I saw some memes about this. Yeah. Actually, yeah, how hard it was. Yeah, yeah I'd, 
I think it's not the hardest boss of the game, but I died four to six times. Okay, four <laughs> to six times. Jesus Christ! I've I felt so hopeless. Um, but yeah, I, I went to bed, slept on it, and then after two tries, I I beat it. I, I think I sometimes get the same with type errors. Just why won't you compile? <laughs> and then I go to bed, and then I realize what I. What but you I don't give up, so it's in you. <sighs> yeah, I don't. I just don't know if I would have the patience game stressed me out that much yeah to be fair um I'm, i think i'm 35 hours in uh i've got two bosses left and i'm really looking forward to finishing it nice. uh, and play some more relaxed games like uncharted 4 or doom something doesn't require so much emotional uh stress and yeah. emotional it just drains me sometimes <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's, it's rewarding. Like every time you beat one of those really difficult bosses. So like what is uh, really relevant to me is how long are the sessions you normally play at? Or what is like the shortest session you would think is acceptable for playing Dark Souls? Can you play this in like really short intervals? Or do you feel like you need to really get into it over multiple hours? So the learning curve is quite steep at the beginning, okay? Okay, let, let, let's ignore the tutorial section and stuff like that in the beginning, like but once you're in, th that's in the, the game. That's not tutorial, se uh, that's not tutorial section. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so you die, you just <laughs> die. Life teaches you uh, how to play this game. So that's frustrating. After a while, when you, and that can be seven hours of frustration. After that, you, you don't die as much, except on during the bo uh, boss fights. But then it's great. For me, the atmosphere, I, I quite like um, Edgar Allan Poe, um, Lovecraft, and that kind of literature. And this kind of takes me there a little bit. And it makes me feel that way, like when I read tho those those kind of uh, books. Oh, are there in-game books that you can read? Uh, I, I mean, I, I understood that there are um, books in the real world about this, right? So about no, this. no, no. Oh, no. These are authors that um write similar stuff i think miyasaki the the main the director of okay the I, th I thought there were there was both that there are um similar books in the same style and there's like um a novel or something as the basis for for the game no you, you're right you're right so these books are the inspiration for the kind of artwork and kind of uh ah, theme okay, and stuff okay. like that yeah because that is something I've done in, in The Witcher 3 quite a lot. They have a lot of um, content in the game in terms of, uh, well, I wanted to say real books, but they are real within the game world. <laughs> so you can find books and then you can actually read them. Oh. And they, there's really cool stuff in there to, if you're really into the lore of, of that game. Nice. That's yeah, and I'm really looking forward to the next expansion, which I think is rumored to come out early June. Yeah. Or no, even, I think. I, s I saw some tweets today. Make yeah, I, uh, yeah. Now that you say it, I think it might come out on our bank holiday here, the next one, thirtieth of May or something like this. Yeah, cool. By the way, I forgot to say this uh, during my picks, but I'm gonna take the opportunity right now. And we wanted, oh, I at least I wanted. I'm sure Pascal wants as well uh, <laughs> to congratulate the CocoaPods team. They just released uh, version 1.0 today. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah, and congrats. Yeah. And this relates a little bit to something we wanted to talk about uh, for a while. And actually, I added it to the to the list of uh, topics to talk about, which was yeah. uh, an ongoing issue with uh, GitHub because they were making hit GitHub machines to hit 
Oh yeah, CPU. that wasn't quite quite yeah. common by a GitHub engineer, but the technical struggles that went through just to support this one big repo. Yeah, <laughs> so in version one point, I think since beta six of version one point they fixed quite a few things like stop uh, making shallow uh, checkouts and things like that that were very CPU intensive for GitHub servers. Uh, so that together with some other, I think they've done three major fixes. We'll add a link and you guys can read read yeah. more about it. So so now we've been really crossing the streams here. We, we might explode at any time, crossing the completely podcast of relevant topics and highly technical stuff and <laughs> things in, in there. Yeah, sorry about that. I really wanted to show. mention this before, but it just, I just remembered. It is what it is. <laughs> okay.